Welcome back once again to the Writer Brothers Podcast, the general interest entertainment show where we discuss movies, shows, video games, and even books. Boring, I know. Tonight, I am joined by my co-host, Poyo Zapatos, Chicken Shoes, a.k.a. my younger brother, John. John, how are you tonight? Phenomenal. So happy to be here. So happy to uh, discuss things that I actually enjoy rather than think about getting off work. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we're here to do. We like to have a nice little time slot going into your pre-Friday celebration. We'll discuss the latest uh, shows, games, and book news. Tonight's episode, we'll of course be talking about the latest episode of Apple TV's psychological thriller Severance. Then we're going to have a very generous block discussing an overview of Reacher, the show on Amazon Prime, where we will be comparing it to The Killing Room by Lee Child, uh, going over its accuracy and how well it was put on screen by comparison to how well it was put on words. And then uh, we'll have a surprise segment and then follow it up with the games we currently enjoy. So, John, since you're our only guest tonight, and you're not really a guest, you're part of the show, why don't you go ahead and open us up with your thoughts on the latest episode of Severance? I was blown away. Uh, I think it's crazy how much Corian was right in terms of predicting the plot line and the plot arc as normal shows are going to be released. Uh, I've been studying the subject a little bit myself, and I just didn't believe that you could predict it that easily, especially with something that is continuing to be unpredictable. And I also like that the points that he brought up in our previous episodes were more along the lines of whether or not we would get world building or start to get the the build-up to the climax. And I really feel like in this episode we got the build up to the climax. Uh, We get more of a understanding of how interested the original person is before they become severed. And that to me really makes me want to know how they can keep, how they can convince themselves despite only being able to occasionally under very grotesque circumstances talk to themselves where in the case of heli going just absolutely nuts so that she could prove that she didn't want to be there and instead her audi just straight up told her you're not real that uh mind blown yeah so i think i think uh i think i brought it up recently about how this show is really taking the uh work personality versus the home personality to an extreme and I think we really see it. I mean, we see a several different dynamics being played, but specifically with Helly, she flat out told herself to get screwed, basically. And it's which it makes sense. The any is only a part of a person. It's a, basically you could argue it's less than a third of a person because it only functions eight hours a day. And then it comes back, and that's that's its life. Is that's the side of of you that exists as the work version of yourself, and so it's almost like commentary on uh, on how we abuse ourselves in jobs that we're not happy with. That because the benefits are so good, 
we're willing to push ourselves to a mental breaking point just to keep our job. And I think that's a lot of where that, that, that whether or not that was the intention of the writers, that's honestly one of the ways it came off to me as far as the, the social commentary goes, is here we have Helly who is miserable at work, but obviously her Audi loves it. She doesn't have to, she doesn't have to experience work anymore. She exists between, you know, she exists on the weekdays from 5.30 p.m. until I think like what, seven or eight, I guess. I don't, I don't remember the exact times they said. And so that's when she's happy, right? Well, now she doesn't have to deal with the workplace nonsense. And so, and even though the workplace heli was ready to sever her own fingers to prove a point, um she wanted nothing to do with it and she basically said you're not a person and so it almost comes off as commentary that that's like that's what we tell ourselves when we're at work is no we're not we don't exist anymore when we're at work we are we're basically someone put it like this that it's npc mode time so to speak when you're working and i found that whole dynamic to to be very interesting but it's almost you know when you when you're given that opportunity to separate work your work existence from your home existence how far are you willing to abuse yourself to keep it to keep the status quo to keep the good life so to speak and so i think it's good commentary because people do that with jobs they hate but pay very well but they suck it up because they don't want to do anything else they don't want to try and live a different lifestyle they want the they want the the paycheck they want all the money they want everything that comes with a miserable job and so again this shows social commentary i think is a lot deeper than uh, maybe it's perfectly intended or maybe it's it's hitting things that the writer didn't even expect but us the viewer is are finding things out uh, from it I think you bring up a lot of good points, especially in terms of the idea of separating ourselves from our work life and our home life. Uh, one of the things like the autistic community has a big understanding of like, this is the most aggressive form of masking, right? Like you don't know what your work life is anymore. And so, yeah, that is in itself a certain type of piece, but you don't even like when Heli is, is talking to herself through the camera twice right so she's like i want out get me out of here her other self is sitting there going why are you complaining you have the perfect life and neither of them really understands the other and i think that's where the autistic masking is really kind of shown is that from what i've i've joined a few neurodivergent groups over the last couple of years and I've heard a lot of the community discuss things uh, along the lines of they because they didn't know they were autistic they didn't know they were masking and until they found out that they were autistic and that they were masking it was a lot scarier than they had anticipated because they really had no idea which person was them because so many masks led to the point that they buried their true self. And I think this is more of a literal interpretation of that. Not to mention, I didn't notice this until after Heli did the video, but I remembered from, I wanna say it was episode two, 
when we meet PD and Mark and PD are having the discussion about reconnecting with your uh, any reintegration. reintegration, correct. And PD or Mark clearly says to PD, he says, no, I couldn't still be working since the death of my wife as well as I work and I have nothing else to do. So I I think what you're saying in terms of just sucking it up for a bad job, these people don't really have the worst job. A, they have no idea what their job is. B, they have all of the benefits and none of the stress. They just have to be there by 9.05, depending on which segment of the day they got assigned. And they have to leave by 5.05. And between the time of riding the elevators there's nothing and that's such a i i don't want to say it seems like peace because me personally i would be driving myself insane trying to overcome the severance in my own head not maybe not the reintegration especially after watching what happened to pd (laughs) um i i would definitely take more time to just talk it out in my head which i think is what we're going to start to see from mark well, well, we also gotta, we also gotta, we also gotta recognize too that this might not necessarily be that reintegration is a death sentence. It might just be that reintegration by the wrong person is a death sentence. And mm. so, it, think of it like when you go sell your lungs on the black market, which I mean, I've never done myself before, and I'm not sure if you have either. But obviously, if you go to a street surgeon versus a certified surgeon. You're going to get what you pay for. And chances are you're going to end up dead. So since the corporation does not, since Lumen does not believe that severance is real, obviously they probably don't even have a, a, an actual process. Reintegration for it. is real, not severance. Reintegration, the opposite. Thank you. I appreciate the clarification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I got to make sure I mean <laughs> what Great, I say and say what I mean. If they didn't believe in severance, we would be working in a very different sci-fi universe. This would be a a very boring show. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, no, it would be backwards because the the company doesn't know what they're doing to their employees, even though their employees know that they're doing it to them. The company does nothing. Right. Yeah. No, it it would turn inside out and just kind of fall flat on its face. Um, That that might make for a good parody show. Uh, But anyway... So obviously they don't believe reintegration is a legitimate thing that it, it, they're insistent that, oh no, it, you can't reintegrate. It's our system is perfect. It's designed this way. So they don't even, it's implied that they don't even have a proper reintegration procedure, if one at all. So does the chip stay in your head if you quit? Uh, but we don't even know if well, anyone's even allowed to quit either. We, we haven't seen somebody who's like, oh yeah, I used to work at Lumen. I decided I was bored of, you know, not enjoying work. So. Well, so yeah, so that's, I think that's a major question, especially in terms of PD, because was he fired because something his Audi did, or was he fired because something his Innie did, or was it a combination of both? If so, how right. and what? But also, what? at what point did he finally decide to go attempt reintegration? Exactly. And, and did he do it while he was working? Because the way we kind of step in here is where Mark is at his first... It's not Mark's first day. It's it's Heli's first day, right? And Mark is just been there, done that for the longest time. It's it's Mark's first day as boss, too, though. 
Right, it, right. But I mean, as far as like, so yeah, so we don't know what his last day with PD was like. And I feel like right. getting the chance to see that would change our under, maybe not ours, but it would definitely make me start to have more guided hypotheses of the whole program. Uh, that flyer that keeps showing up in the trailer here and severance brings up yeah. a, a, a I want to say conundrum, but I don't know if that's the right word. It brings up something that I I wonder about in terms of like how many people know people are severed. Exactly. And yeah, it has it has implications that haven't been addressed yet. Implications. That is the word. And 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 that's another question along the lines of how many people have been severed total since this company started because that's not been discussed. And a lot of questions you brought up earlier or in previous episodes that we've discussed where uh, Miss Casey, I want to say, yes, Miss, right? Is it Miss Casey or is it Cobell? Harmony Cobell. Yeah. Patricia Arquette. Uh, Her role in the show. Before we started. Whoopsie. Oh, I have it up and I couldn't remember which face was the actress. (laughs) Um but Harmony Cobell, she very clearly is loyal to the company inside and outside of work to the point that she recovered PD's chip, which answers a little bit, like partially answers your question. Cause even if you're fired, they don't pull it out right away, but it also could be that PD wasn't fired. It could be that PD was doing what Mark is doing now and skipping a couple days here and there. And because Mark doesn't know when he skips days while he's at work, he doesn't know, like, it, it, it's a lot, you know? It, it, it feels yep. like that it brings more questions than answers, we, but it yeah. also kind of guides the questions in a way. And it really feels like that what you're talking about, perma-severance, more seems like severance from history, but not severance from reality, which is a whole other weird conundrum to deal with that just feels worth exploring like i want to know why harmony was so willing to become harmony because like i know military people very easily can become careerists within their first boot camp experience or their last year in the first four years they can decide to be a career so yeah we we do have a perspective writer comment in the chat from journeyside 429 says york that beard bro and i think i know who that is and if i do know who that is this is somebody we may have to bring on the stream at some point just for funds you know improv uh uh, improv jam sessions if it's who i think it is but more on that at another time uh, anyway, Jersey Side, thanks for showing up tonight. We appreciate the view and the support uh, in what big or small way you can. Um, and yes, so back to what you're saying is that it does seem to imply that the it it seems to suggest that there is no leaving the company because they don't have a process for reintegration. They don't have a process for removing chips, and it's clear that that PD obviously didn't didn't get formally let go he just left is what i'm getting at and yes this show has a lot of more questions that have been brought up but it did in this episode what i what carrion and i were speaking last week needed to happen by episode five 
because there's a lot of exposition that took place and a lot of other other questions that were answered but you're right it just brings up more questions and i think that's really the mark of, of a good psychological thriller is something that is able to keep you interested by not just showing you hey you know here's some cool psychological stuff and we're going to rearrange the timeline on things and events and then oh it's going to be a cool ride which don't get me wrong when those stories are executed great it's it's awesome this is one that clearly has a story laid out this is not mystery box writing at least right now and if it's mystery box writing then good job you fooled me um this is actually like i'm pretty sure the end of this season will have a satisfying conclusion but there's still going to be enough hanging on to go into season two and that's honestly what i've really liked about this show is it does not come off as like it's you know just trying to keep you hooked to to mess with you over time i mean you know we'll probably we'll probably have to do a comparison with the show lost after this show concludes to really get a good understanding of okay this is good writing versus that <laughs> and so this is what i've like i said i keep raving about this show because i love it it is good it's it's keeps you on the edge of your seat and yet like the most exciting thing that's happened is a dude died because his chip, you know, malfunctioned or he, the way the integration process didn't work. There's no grotesque violence. There's no over the top, you know, swearing. And, and, and it's just, it's very, it's a very clean show all around. But one thing we haven't talked about, we're four episodes deep and we haven't brought this up, is why the use of the old technology? What are the implications with that? I love the question and have two potential answers based off of what we've seen so far. The first answer is a, it's more along the lines of, again, bringing up the military. Uh, if the equipment works, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, that to me seems like something this company is really good at because you're only there for eight hours because you don't get to come back tomorrow angry about what happened yesterday you're more likely to preserve everything you're you're not gonna be like you know what tomorrow i'm gonna come in and i'm gonna break the boss's desk and break the computers not to mention your audi has no idea or your any has no idea what technology exists so it's back to that if it ain't broke don't fix it kind of mentality of like they're working with these computers they work every time nobody can hack them because they're literally the oldest thing ever and incapable of touching the internet um which is an easy answer my second answer is that the devices are actually a major world building element and they're connecting to something i want to say ethereal it's the only thing i can think of that makes any sense is like the it, it's like kind of like one of those things where writers say well like like with transformers where they say all of our tech came from megatron right what if this show or these writers are trying to say that these computers 
were part of like the first batch because I, I can't recognize what model computer this is if it's an actual computer or not um it's definitely made to look old right and and that seems extremely intentional so it could be that like these are the aliens computers these are time computers i don't know it, it it's just so much goodness though like i want to know that's what i love yeah. about this show is even though i have no idea what is going on in the grander skills like we only see one department that interacts with a couple other departments like this is the equivalent of watching only jim and dwight and andy and at the very end of the office pam and and they only talk to michael once in a while and they're scared of michael like it there's so much more to every company both of us have worked for several different types of companies and no job have we ever worked where it's like okay i'm the owner and you are the everything else (laughs) right except maybe right now but (laughs) (laughs) absolutely even right now we both we spend time in our off time trying to improve this product from our own points of views in this instance literally the people doing everything else can't take any off time to bring improvements tomorrow they forget yesterday or forget last night and forget tomorrow night like that's such a it it's an odd spot you know it it feels like there's so many more questions to be asked well and it it makes you wonder why why they don't just soft wipe the workday memories and keep the innie in like a perpetual state of uh of short-term memory loss and maybe that's something they wanted to try what what's to say they didn't you know well because what if this is the the best iteration so far well yeah the way we see heli though basically gives you our answer because she's like oh there's like no days off oh right 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 okay and and so it seems to imply that Maybe that's something they could do because short-term memory loss is exactly what you'd want to have a function and thing like this. Because then your any forgets every single day that they're working, but they don't forget the knowledge that they had. And then because it's it would just kind of be a soft, like I said, a soft memory wipe. I so they, I feel like the reason they couldn't do that is more importantly, or not more importantly, mostly because the wake-up experience is so jarring that they would waste half of their day every day being okay with like i feel like there would be a lot more shakes a lot more like i don't know what's gonna happen i don't know what happened yesterday my memory's missing and my other memory's missing you know well that's what i mean by a soft by a soft deletion of memories it's not like a total wipe it's just it, it 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 basically is like, oh yeah, I know that I did tasks today, but I don't remember spending hours and hours doing this, you know, like it would kind of soften them up a little bit so that they wouldn't have like a constant state of, oh, I work here all the time. It would just be, no, you only work here for the eight hours. And then when you go, you know, when you're, when you're, when your body goes home, you don't remember as much from the previous time. So that way it feels more like a dream. That's what I'm getting at. But that's interesting. That's, I've... Yeah. I wonder that's how effective they would make them speaking. at their I'm, jobs. I'm not saying, sorry, what? Well, I, that's something that's like a really good question because I feel like 
with the already stated age of the company that there have been hundreds if not thousands of variations of this project because like we've discussed before irving's the oldest one there yeah and he's only been there for two years yeah that's odd you know and then i gotta go back actually i'm gonna wind back the uh breaking the illusions of the magic people um should be right actually it's like a real quick clip there oh dang it literally half a second son of a Uh, me failing at technology should be entertaining enough anyway this sequence right oh oh this wasn't the exact scene okay interesting uh this was similar though we actually saw what this is sort of we got a glimpse and that is not what is going on huh i don't know what that is but that's not old (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> so we've seen all these old computers they use tape recorders they use all this they use old school <laughs> the projectors with the transparent paper that you had to use in school they have that and then we have what is this this looks and like a super th- printer of some kind because yeah. the lady on the far left is holding a bunch of papers but one of them's wearing a smock Ah, more questions. Well, when I saw this scene, yeah, when I saw this scene in the last episode before uh, before Helly hung herself, I was like, I had to go back and look at it, and I was like, I have no idea what this is. And I'm okay with that, but I'm like, come on, what what's going on with this show? Yeah, it's so. Speaking of which, now that we've you know spoiled the ending of episode four, what did you think of that? What do you think of the implications of that? I it, it, I really feel like Helly is going through the same thing everybody has gone through. Because the moment she came back from the break room at the beginning of the episode, he says how many times. Showing us that our like previous questions about whether or not they remember what happens in the break room is actually answered. They do. Like, they know yeah. exactly what they said. They know how many times they said it. <laughs> and... They know that certain times they had to say it over and over and over again. And to be able to know that is scary because it really shows how much the innies are being run like cattle versus the outies being left to their own devices. Like, even though they're being yeah. watched and like, like, a little bit guided, but Petey got too close for it to be like they're actually spying on them. You know, Petey was in his house for multiple days at a time, and they don't know that he talked to him. And then his instant uh, rebuttal to, why are you at the funeral? Well, we work together. And they're like, well, so you don't even know anything about him? And he's like, no, I just saw that he was in my department, technically, like, because he was part of the Severance, right? Yeah. That really, to me, it plays with my head a little bit, you know? It makes me wonder, like, how much do they, uh, they really bully these people and not necessarily saying bully to just 
describe them as being intentionally nefarious because it could be that it is borderline spy-like. You know, they have to protect. This is like, like this is Area 51 level secrecy. And this is why the aliens from Area 51 have never gotten out. It's because the people that hide them are severed eight hours a day. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of thing that I'm getting from this show is that like their job is so important that A, the government doesn't care or doesn't know which seems extremely unlikely if there's flyers going around, you know? Yeah. So you brought up a uh, you brought up a good point about them seeing at the funeral, and I want to want to do a little uh, a little uh, little funny for that real quick uh, because instantly when you mentioned it, this is what I thought of. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. So when Mark when Mark and uh, and uh yeah patricia arquette's character is named uh, harmony show up at the funeral together it was like one of these situations because neither of them should be there and so they're like well what are you doing here well no what are you doing here <laughs> so it's like okay one of them is obviously perma severed supposedly that's my running theory anyway whereas the other is not and and but he uh you spent time with pd on the outside but he doesn't want to make doesn't want to make that known because for several different reasons i think his primary motivation is he doesn't want to be implicated for a potential murder because his you know death was mysterious which i don't know if it's anyone who dies under thing. mysterious circumstances isn't dying under so mysterious circumstances whether it's real or fake true 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 i don't but i don't know if it's for sure the idea of him like I think the Audis know a lot more than they're showing. And that's why I bring up the Area 51 thing. Like, they don't know the secrets they're keeping, but they know the value of the secrets they're keeping. Right. And that, to me, really sparks, like, this personal motivation, individual motivation, because... Like I said, like, if it was me, if I was just automatically waking up in a room every day... I would want to know what I know. But like when I was in the military, I didn't want to know what I know. Like whenever I would walk into a top security like room, it's a lot easier to be ignorant than it is to be a security risk than it is to potentially say something you're not supposed to. So being ignorant does you a lot of justice. But I also knew that like, as long as it didn't pertain to my job, that ignorance was also safety, you yeah. know? And I think that is really what Mark is telling us throughout this. So far, what we've seen is he doesn't only find peace in the fact that his work life isn't impacted by the death of his wife, but he also, there has to be a more, like a deeper understanding of what is going on, a deeper understanding of why the severance was not only necessary but worthwhile but also worth anything and everything that could potentially happen like in the instance of heli waking up with a cut on her arm or in the instance of mark waking up with the bruise on his head and just like a gift card right that kind yeah. of to you or I, especially like being on the lower levels of totem poles where they would never need to sever us because we don't even know anything important. 
they would just be like, yeah, respect the NDA or lose your house kind of situation. But right in this case, like this is so far beyond respecting the NDA to the point of literally accepting that you no longer can disclose anything. Because even PD's time with Mark and trying to figure out what had happened, but like where he was, there was nothing. PD didn't give us anything extra. He just showed us how hard severance is on some. Which is like, what's the point of getting reintegrated if when you reintegrate, you could die from like your brain exploding or you could just know that you put numbers in boxes because of emotional feelings. Like, it it feels like there's a lot of redundancies in this company. And those redundancies, I think, matter a lot more than we are being led to believe and potentially lay the foundation for how important this company truly is in the grand scheme of life and in the universe that is being written by these writers. So, yeah, it feels like there's a lot more to it, but it's also being told to us. And I think, like you said, episode one is going to give us, or not episode one, the end episode of season one is going to potentially wrap up with a bow but also a whole new box of story. Because I, I feel like literally just showing us the city that this company operates in, in season two, will be a whole different series. In, with yeah. Just within two seasons. So yeah, there's I feel like there's a lot to go. But you can also give us some information without ruining any future secrets you want to give off 10 seasons from now, you know? So, yeah, we'll and and I yeah. So I think we'll we'll move on to our predictions for for tonight's episode. Um, I think uh, honestly, because I thought episode four was going to be fairly exposition heavy, and yeah, it was, but it was also exciting. Um, you know, I I think we're finally going to see Helly's breaking point because uh, Hannah pointed out that when she. Uh, when she's when they're playing that final scene where she hangs herself, um, Mark comes up and asks, "Hey, good to see you. How you doing? Are you doing okay?" And she goes, "I'm fine." Her her voice is very hoarse, indicating that that sequence took place. Oh, geez, I'm not advertising for somebody else. Um, sorry about that. It indicates that that sequence took place after the fact and. It was, it was very uh, indicative that she was, once again, unsuccessful. And that's probably going to be her breaking point. And that's probably what we're going to find out is the breaking point for every single person that works there except um, Dylan, played by Zach Cherry. I think his character, I'm still a, I'm still a believer that he was one that probably integrated easy and because he's just whereas Irving Irving drinks the Kool-Aid, right? So that tells me that Irving probably had a similar experience to Helly and Mark may have had a similar experience to them and that they probably went to that extreme of killing themselves, trying to kill themselves unsuccessfully. Whereas uh Dylan probably was just like, 
yeah, man, I bet my Audi's a real badass. And, you know, I'm just in here making sure that they're doing badass things. And so he just probably drank the Kool-Aid from day one. Because, like I said, there's those types of people that I've worked with that are like, oh, yeah, it's the greatest thing ever. And I'm like, no, it's not. But good for you. <laughs> so... I think that's probably what's going to happen tonight is, is we're going to finally, we're going to see like, she probably wasn't taken to the break room after that, but what was finally like, yeah, you're not escaping. This is your existence. You're, you're here forever. And then we'll probably see by the end of this season, uh, we'll probably see somebody. I don't know if it's going to be Mark or if it's going to be Irving, but somebody's probably going to agree to be perma severed because that's exactly, I'm pretty sure that Patricia Arquette's character is perma severed. And that's why the company, that's why the board members are like, no, reintegration is not a thing. Because if reintegration is a thing, then the people who've decided to elect to be perma-severed are going to start to wonder, well, then I could just have my old life back, but I can also work here now because I'm, 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 I'm a loyal worker. I can have my old life and I can do both. And it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> so, yeah, the implications of this show are, are... Man, it's it's really caused me to go to places and, and think about concepts and, and things that I probably wouldn't have otherwise thought. And like I said, I think the show's strongest point is that social commentary on the corporate work life overall. Yeah, it's more than that. There's obviously a plot going on here. There's there's some sinister potentially sinister things, or as Carrie Owen suggested last week, uh, there might be it might be a moral, morally gray area. So I'm excited to see how this season ends. And I hope it's not a huge wait to season two. Cause man, this is good. Yeah. I am so, very much excited. I really think carry on was correct though. I think we s just saw the rising emotional conflict. That's going to carry this to the climax. I think you're very much on the right thread when it comes to saying that, what Heli, like Heli's experience is most likely not unique. And honestly, I think the only thing I would add to your, uh, your, um, your guess for the future is that I think Mark, Mark's going to be the one to go perma severed. His, he's already perma severing and getting closer to his wacky neighbor who is perma severed. Well, we suspect this permis Everett. We don't know for sure one way or the True, other. True, we don't. And but I do definitely think so. I in too. terms of the sense like mostly in terms of her willingness to do things, but also her fear of the board. So it's like she had to suffer in the same room that Mark did before she was able to be offered that position. And I, I really wonder how much of this room is either a breeding ground slash testing ground for permanent employees. So like there's like the new hire experience. And at some point you'll just lose that year or six months of your life that you went through while you lost those eight hours. Like tons of college kids can tell you for sure they've lost a few years due to drinking and drinking too much, <laughs> right? So the likelihood of people growing out of it is a hundred percent but also like in the case of Helly, like her her almost killing herself on the elevator elevator ride it really brings up the question of is her other self gonna get 
the emotional turmoil. And if she doesn't, what does that mean for Heli? But if she does, what does that mean for Heli? So I'm definitely tuning in. Yep. Gonna so find we'll, out. we'll definitely find out. And with that, it is now time for our next segment, our big block segment tonight. Reacher. Oh, that does not look correct. Let me just say so Reacher, today we are discussing ah, it still just wants to do that. Fine. I can fix that. Boom. We are going to do a comprehensive look at the book and how it relates to the TV show. John, I will give my initial thoughts. First of all, I am impressed with uh, the, the book itself is absolutely worth the read. And though we tend to spoil stuff about shows that are currently ongoing, like with Severance, with this, we're not going to be too spoiler heavy because it is absolutely worth reading. And we definitely recommend that you check out the show as well. So we will be touching on some soft spoilers, but probably not really big resolution heavy because there is a, there is a, well, there's a conspiracy involved. And if you know anything about me, I kind of, dabble in that stuff and that was that's a lot of influence for my own writing so we don't want to ruin it so my first initial thoughts are again the accuracy is impeccable um if amazon wants to be this accurate with my work we can definitely work out a deal because that's exactly the kind of, of book to screen uh translation that uh, that i like i mean even uh even Jackson did an impeccable job with taking Lord of the Rings to the big screen. And even though the final battle in Return of the King doesn't hold up to the book, I actually kind of like that because that's what makes the book all the more worth reading is that you get a different experience for the ending. And that's what I realized when I started reading this book and watching this show is that it's not so much that the, that the book is not accurate. It's more so or not that the show is not as accurate to the book, you also got to look at telling a story through a different medium is is a form of retelling. And with shows, you do have to make certain adjustments. And I think a lot of the adjustments of what I've seen so far, because admittedly, I've only gotten uh, halfway through episode four, just new job, new time crunch, new time management. I got I to gotta figure out how to work that in with, with this. Uh, so... I wasn't able to get through the entire show, but I did get through the entire book, so nothing will be ruined for me. But I do like the accuracy of most events. Um, what are your thoughts, John? Well, I may or may not have prepared for a comparison between the 2012 Jack Reacher and this new one, not the book. Just kidding. I read the book. I love Lee Child. He's one of my all-time favorite writers. One of my all-time favorite, uh, just literary minds. Um, I find Jack Reacher to be the American Sherlock Holmes. Okay. If the most Texan American wrote Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> uh, from I, I'm going to do my best not to spoil anything in terms of this one. Just don't go with big spoilers. Soft spoilers are acceptable because, I mean, well, people are going to... I'm hoping that most of the viewers, listeners, are uh, 
have at least read the book or have at least watched the show, but just, you know, you know what big twists I'm talking about to, to avoid. Right. My, so I'm not going to, so that's why I say Sherlock Holmes. Um, yeah. Every book by Lee Child is a new Sherlock Holmes story. It's a new Jack Reacher adventure. It has n- very little to do with the last one, but it's always building on the last one. So all the characters you meet in book one, this is a spoiler-ish, but more in terms of what you're getting yourself into. If the character doesn't die in this book, they're probably going to show up in every other book. If they don't die in this show, I hope that they show up in every other season or iteration of this show. Because... I've been waiting for this since I read 61 Hours. That was my first actual introduction to Jack Reacher, even though my first introduction was the 2012 Jack Reacher movie. I just love movies. I watch them all. I regret it a lot. Hey, if you want to especially do a comparison, with that I, one. I didn't watch the 2012 <laughs> movie, but if you would like to touch on well, that, no, please so, go right so, ahead. So I'm just going to do the most blatant obvious comparison it's tom cruise (laughs) um yeah five foot whatever doesn't doesn't exactly uh doesn't exactly compare to uh to our big stacked gentleman here continue no no you're good there's a line in one shot of the book and it's actually portrayed in the film the 2012 film where the hotel attendant or motel attendant because jack reacher is usually staying in motels not hotels the motel attendant says when you see him you'll know who is capable of doing it and then tom cruise pulls up because the villain in the or in the movie one shot and in the book one shot i should say in the book one shot in the movie jack reacher 2012 in the movie, uh, the um, sorry, let me get my thought together real quick. In the movie, the the villain is played by a guy that's about six something, like six two, and is about a hundred and ninety pounds, maybe two ten tops. I don't know, but it, it obviously he's bigger than Jack Reacher in the book. He's also supposed to be bigger than Jack Reacher. And he's, I want to say he's described as 6'8", but it might have been closer to 7 feet tall. Basically, Andre the Giant in gangster form. And that is, like, in the movie, the 2012 movie, which I don't care about spoiling, the person that is dead is uh one of the first people jack reacher talks to um who gets him like looped into the major events of the movies and she's strangled to death but with one hand mark across her throat and the thumb alone is almost the size of her whole throat so when the motel attendant says when you see him you'll know who did it because the body's found at jack reacher's motel in the dumpster she says, you'll know who did it because Jack Reacher's 6'6", 250. But when Tom Cruise pulls up, just laughable. Yeah, but, he's on stilts or something, clearly. Exactly. Yeah, I remember watching that trailer back in the day, and I was just like, 
that looks dumb. I'm not watching that. And and mostly because it was Tom Cruise, you know, pretending to Tom Cruise as an action star works great for Mission Impossible because even James Bond, short people, nobody remembers short people. But see, there's there's a place where that can work. With a character like Jack Reacher, that was the stupidest decision that I think anybody could have even made. Just, I don't care. Your script could have been Oscar bait, the greatest story ever written. And if you miscast somebody when you're doing a script from a book like they did with Reacher, like putting Tom Cruise in instead of Alan Richson, look at, look at this guy. This is an imposing bulk of man meat, okay? This is somebody I see walking down the street, and if he's even glaring at me, I'm probably reaching for my sidearm just to be safe. Like, this is not somebody that I want to cross. And so, I... Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I love that you say that. I was not interested that. in Reacher, and I didn't even know about the books at the time, so... I love that you say that because... As you progress through the series, and as any of our audience progresses through the series, the more you're going to see how much Alan Rickman truly fits the role. Richson. Richson? Richson. Richson. Uh, Alan Richson 100% fits the role. And even if you know his film history, which I do, Blue Mountain State, For the Wind, Rise of Badland, amazing. And Alan Richson was phenomenal in that one and he was even phenomenal in his disney role as hawkman or something like that great just great actor but when it comes to reacher this is the only role he was born for oh because absolutely throughout the entire series most of the introductory prologues of the books start out describing exactly what you just described if i see a guy looking like that walking up to me i'm reaching for my sidearm well a lot it depends of... on how they're looking if he's smiling at me no. or there's at least a cordial nod all right no big deal but they're like staring me down i'm like okay i think this guy wants to eat me or something even if you he's know? staring in your direction two, just... and i'm intimidated by this guy right, right. <laughs> I and even that... seen... i'm just watching him on screen and i haven't even been in his presence but and that's you know, the description because yeah. every time Reacher meets somebody, depending on how he meets them, like in the first scene of this show when he's getting arrested, the cops are like, we're going to arrest the Hulk, bring everything, right? Yeah. If it was Tom Cruise sitting in that booth, just bring the 6-6 six, six cop. Just He'll put him in his yet. place. Just bring it, yeah. He'll shake his lunch money gun. out of his bring pocket. Bring twenty-two, and you know that'll do the same. That'll have the same effect as a shotgun for someone like Tom Cruise. Exactly, but <laughs> when it came to Alan Richardson, it was exactly what Lee Child wrote. There's a monster in this booth, who is a literal just monster, and. He's a military guy, so he's not necessarily going to be walking around with a smile on his face. He was trained to never get caught smiling in pictures. Right. Right? So that's just his natural state of face is the thousand-yard stare. But when it's a 6'5", Alan Richson, I might pee a little. <laughs> you know? And that's what this show really got. Like, that was the justice 
that I needed most from the original adaptations of the books, but to then see how closely this book aligned, I came up with something while you were giving your introduction. The book is more of a guide to understanding each character verbally than it is to a compare and contrast. Like, yeah. The book takes a lot more time to describe Jack Reacher's thoughts, his intellect, his intelligence, his history, and it describes it in such a way that you're not too busy just looking at Alan Richson Thad. Like, let's be honest, I it took me a second to realize that like he truly is the perfect fit just because I remembered Rise of Thadland. But I also remembered Mission Impossible, and that wasn't enough to get me over the fact that Tom Cruise is 5'3". And so, in this instance, the book is more of like a synopsis of the show, even though it was written first. And that is a crazy amount of skill on this show writers to be able to blend the two. Well, that's what happens when you when you stick as close to the source material as you possibly can without having it get too overbloated with exposition. And that's really what I got to so so I got to hand it to the guy who who I forgot his name. I got to hand it to to the guy who to basically transcribed it into a uh, I believe it was actually Nick Santora who did all of the all of the legwork with that. Yeah, yeah, he he's the show. claimed as the creator. Which, I don't know yeah, if he wrote it. I believe every he episode. is credited as the writer because he did adapt it for television. And he did a very good job, but he also missed the mark on a couple of small things. So here's all right, here's the negative part, portion of our overview, right? That I have so far. Um there's a scene that I liked that I thought should have been in the show. Now it doesn't ruin the show because I want to say he does a lot. He does a very good job of having not just, you know, one liners from the book, but actual full on detailed scenes are pretty yes. much put on screen. It's almost like the book just comes to life in moments. Then there's moments where you kind of glossed over some things. Now, the the one for me that, that kind of gets a little bit of a negative hit, and this is more of a nitpick. OK, I want to clarify. This is not me saying that the show is bad or that it was done badly. This is, I have praise for this show. I'm just expressing my mild disappointment as a, as a viewer, as a reader, as a listener. As Um, audience. Yeah. As a member of the audience, I was a little disappointed that the prison sequence was kind of sped up, so to speak. Um, Particularly because they basically, uh, him and the other character, they get taken off the prison and they're in their regular regular clothes because they're just in holding they're not actually being processed into jail so the deviation from the book is that instead as you can see here he has to dress in jail clothes which i don't know why that had to be changed i'm open to explanation um my main issue is that there's a scene where the janitor is coming through and he notices them sleeping in the cell or laying in the cell and he goes wow, I've worked here for 20 some odd years and I've never seen anyone, you know, in, in here wearing what you're wearing. And they're like, well, of course not. We're, we're not actually in jail. We're just in holding. And, and the janitor starts laughing and he's like, so what's so funny? Because hey, you're not in holding. You're on the floor with all the bad guys. And it's like the tension in the book starts to set in when you realize that 
oh, they were put in the wrong spot. And instead, the way they do it in the book, you know, Reacher goes outside the cell and goes, oh, we're in with the bad guy. We're in with, like, the, the murderers and the rapists. And, oh, yeah. we're And it, it just it feels like it just kind of glosses over that whole point. And, and it, it sort of cheapens the suspense of the moment of, oh, no, you've been misplaced, which may or may not be on purpose. And then, of course, there's the scene with the confrontation of, of the prisoners coming in and they want to, they want to, you know, have their way with, uh, with the guy that Reacher's with. And they have basically the writer that that's, this is where we transition to the praise portion. The writer took that scene from the book and just basically put it on screen because there was no reason to change anything. And that's what I, that's what I love about this show so far is yes, certain events, you know, they're kind of interchanged placed in different areas but they still happen is it's the respect that that nick has for lee child's work that while he did bring it you know instead of making it take place in the era that it takes place in he brought it to the modern day and made those adjustments accordingly and i think you actually had an explanation for that that you wanted to get into about translating it from when it was written in the i think the early 90s versus today yeah, I think one of the biggest things we have to acknowledge is two things. One, this is supposed to be adapted to 2022, right? And there have been a number of changes to the legal system, to the prison system, and to the overall, like even later stories and some stories in this one kind of had to skip some events because of things like TSA changes. Um for example the scene where they go to meet the secretary had to be completely edited because with modern tsa it would have been next to impossible for the events to occur yeah and that that to me is like it's not just respecting the writer but it's respecting the modern world so that the viewer can pretend like this happened yesterday and right. that is even bigger because like when you're reading Lee Child's book, you understand that you're reading a book from 91. You understand that 9-11 hasn't happened and you understand all of that. So you're just like, okay, whatever. But when you're watching a show that's made in 2022 and if it just pretends like 9-11 hasn't happened yet, it hurts. It breaks you. And and that's why, again, like I bring up Thad, like I'm going to bring up Thad, is in terms of Alan Richardson's his, history of characters – it feels like he went from the football captain to the wannabe superhero to Jack Reacher, which in Jack Reacher's story, it goes from defending his brother while moving around as an army brat to defending his like people in the army to defending the people that he meets on the road, which it really feels like Alan Richardson became Batman while still being all of the other stories he was before. Like him being a Hawkeye was his Robin period where he thought he knew what it meant to be a hero or not Hawkeye, but Hawkman. But he, he thought he knew what it meant to be a hero, but he was always being overzealous about it because he thought that as long as you punch violence down to nothing, there might not be more violence, which is completely erroneous that's fighting fire with fire and it's all scorched earth yeah. right and- all right real real quick i just want to say because i'm going to put something up 
up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put the trailer on loop in the background for the viewers. Now, I do want to say it is an Amazon Prime trailer, so they don't really follow a lot of the rules of, of most other uh, trailers when they put their content up. So there is a couple of sequences that may be a little bit grotesque, so to speak. It's not super bad. However, we are putting this up there for the viewers watching this in the event that if you haven't seen the show and maybe you might not want to see something that bad, you can get an idea of, okay, is this a level of, of violence that I can handle? Because again, one of the things they do bring the book to screen accurate is some of the, the very, uh, very, um, I don't want to keep saying grotesque, but the, the very gruesome, gruesome. Thank you. Sequences of, the show or of the story that are but now they don't really show a lot of that as bad on the screen but you're going to get an idea of what to expect so i want to just make sure because after all our stream is pg-13 so we do try not to swear a whole lot or feature a lot of just really nasty stuff um our but that's the whole point of the trailer you a taste to get of an idea so if this is something you're not comfortable with now you're going to find out for sure um so yeah, just wanted to preface that before I put it on screen. It's not going to be like super terrible, but there's you know, violence, it's, it's, violence it's warnings. Violence. Exactly. And, and it's, it's that, see, that's something that, that I actually want to just jump off of. It's a, it's a solid jumping off point. The violence in this show and in the books is meant to do two things. It's meant to, you know, excite the reader. It really is meant to make it feel like this is an action novel which with modern movies and everything like that makes you think that you have to basically be writing John Wick to be able to establish a character like Reacher because a lot of the fight scenes in the books are basically what John Wick was trying to portray. Not necessarily in the overall kill count or the overall uh, justification for going to commit violence because this show really talks about Jack Reacher's motivations for violence. He's not inherently violent but he's inherently bigger than everybody else and that allows him to get his point across without instantly being violent so the cool and collected head that he has throughout the entire series that lee child has written and now his son andrew child has jumped on and started writing with him is that jack reacher is supposed to be a man's man in the most bland of terms. And I say that because most kids grow up thinking that a man's man is the toughest kid on the block and also stands up for good. And that's about as man's man as it gets. And then everybody has their other variations, you know, don't cry don't do this whatever and that those are all personal and individual and you can have your own but but what jack reacher shows us and what this series shows us is that a man's man is those two things they are always honest they always tell their definition of what is good but at the end of the day they do their best not to do harm and in every instance in this show even in the violence that we see in the trailer jack reacher 100 percent tells everybody that's about to commit violence don't or you will regret it and that that's fair is fair like especially when it comes to a prison fight 
right? If you're in prison and you say, don't do this or I will hurt you, and they do it anyways, oops. And that's, I really, that's, that's I, really what he does. I really liked, so you mentioned, a, you mentioned a good point about how the book is able to share Reacher's thoughts because it's told from his perspective. Um, what I really like about the show is that particular sequence is the fact that he, the writer managed to transcribe that scene almost perfectly. Mm. When the prisoner guys come into the cell, he, I, and I knew it was coming and I'm sitting there watching because in the book it goes, you know, and I said, he says, I'm going to count to three and you guys are going to, you know, probably you're going to want to walk out of here. And he goes, and of course, after two, I decided to strike because I wasn't going to give him a fair shot. And, I'm, and and he executes that so perfectly on screen when he goes, one, two. And that's the moment, like right after he said two, I kind of braced myself. I'm like, oh, is he going to do it? Yeah, boom. And he does it. And I'm like, yes, yes, excellent. Well done. And of course, he kicks all their asses and it's awesome. Um. The thing you bring up, however, about the character is he's not just a man's man because he's 6'4 and he's, you know, a big, bulky man. He's also intelligent. He's extremely smart. This is this is an excellent example of, of good characters. Just all around. They're all great is, is, is the best oh, way I can real. put it. Exactly. That's what makes them so believable is the fact that they are... They're real people, but they're also like people that you kind of want to sort of. In the in, in every instance of my life, I want to emulate Jack Reacher, because right. I, I, as long as I've read the books, he truly has become my metric of good. And 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 this is me trying not to give spoilers, but it might give spoilers to how Jack Reacher decides to handle certain situations depending on the book. But number one, Jack Reacher knows for a fact that if you punch up, you have to punch hard and precise. Never pretend like you're just big enough for every situation. And number two, more than anything, you have to be as detailed and in a, like as intelligent as Sherlock Holmes in order to be able to solo anything. And Jack Reacher is so much that person who, like in this scene, like you said, the one-two punch. In, In the book, there's a lot of time where he describes each punch and swing and lock. And it's been a little while since I read it, so I can't remember for sure, but it felt like the show basically was scene for scene according to the writing. But in terms of what Jack Reacher was thinking and what was written in the book about what he was thinking, it's always him sizing up everything. In the book, it's like as if you were walking up next to Jack Reacher and he says, all right, you see that guy, that guy, and that guy? I'm going to do this, this, and this to them, and you're going to watch me do it. And it's not in turn it's not like he's bragging it's literally like he is a predictive computer who just knows exactly how his opponents are going to act based off of all of the details that lee child takes the time to explain he goes because his shoes and outfit are this he's most likely that 
It's not necessarily that it's a guarantee. And in a lot of the books, there are times where Jack Reacher finds out that he completely miscalculated his target. But in the books, it shows how he failed to calculate and how he took the time to reassess in the moment and get smarter. And that's something that this show takes a lot of time to do non-verbally. Yeah. Because you watch as Reacher constantly reads every corner, every door, every room, where he sits, what he's doing. When is he pleasant? Who is he pleasant to? And in the book, it like explains why he does all of that. But in the show, he just does that that's wild well and the other thing is is i like that he's not he's not invincible he's not invulnerable he takes damage and he has to recover like like anyone would even though he is a big imposing bulk of a human he's not perfect he does make mistakes but he's also what i really like about the character and in for myself is he's a no bullshit guy he will straight up tell you if he doesn't like you, he will straight up tell you what he intends to do. Just like when Finley's like, hey, try not to get caught up in lockup and try not to end up in prison. He's like, no, I'm going to go do what I need to to get this investigation continuing. And you're just going to deal with it. And if I end up in prison again, I end up in prison again. Like he, he's literally. He just doesn't. He, he's obviously got no ulterior motives here. He's just here to try and do the right thing in the long run. And that just one thing we should add real quick to anybody who's just listening and has never read the books or never watched any of the films. He is when I say that he is the American Sherlock Holmes, it's because his education, the primary source of his education was in the one tenth uh, military police unit, which was. I don't know for sure because I'm not in the army. I was in the Marines. So I don't know all their units. But according to the books and according to the story, the 110 MPs are supposed to be the most investigatory and invasive investigatory unit in the army to the point that like, and, and it's explained throughout the series, the amount of investigations he had to occur or had to do while in the the army so when it comes to him like you said when he talks to finley he says no i'm gonna do what needs to get done it's because he also knows that finley is may or may not be one tenth the cop he is because when he's a when i say he's a cop he was the cop of the army which is 10 times scarier than being the cop of boise right? right because the cop of the army has to go for the most vicious army men. The cop of Boise has to go for the most vicious person in Boise. You might have a and I don't think we have any serial in the killers. North End because, you know, somebody ate somebody's uh, soy latte or whatever. Exactly. And that's why I say that, like, he looks down. It's not that he looks down on cops. It's that he knows his position in relation to cops. And then he also knows how people respect him. And that's why, like, in the show, it shows that only Finley is the one that got anything out of him. He never said a word to anybody that talked to him. And then Finley walked in the room and he said, oh, yeah, let me talk to you. Because he saw Finley as a respectful person. 
but it's because he has the education. So if you're thinking that Reacher's just some fucking six six guy that showed up on the party and is killing people like Batman, he's not. He's a hundred percent trained, a hundred percent bought by the military, created by the military, and now is trying to live a peaceable life and the world won't let him. And that's why he is the way that he is. It's not so much that he just accidentally became this. And, the, and, and I'm trying not to give any spoilers because the books all take a ton of time to detail A, where he came from, B, where he's going, and C, who he is as a man. And that is something I don't want to take away from any potential readers and right. viewers. Yeah, no, I, uh, so it's the same reason that I, when I did my, uh, my critical drinker parody review, but I also did a legit review of his book, Redemption. Um, I didn't, I actually kind of left a lot of it out because I respect the cur the product and that's what I want to, that's what we want to try and do here. So obviously, you know, yes, we give spoilers for severance because severance is ongoing. You have time to catch up and at least enjoy the new episodes as they air. And of course, once the last episode airs, we'll be talking about it and spoiling it. But with this show, because it dropped right all at once and the book is already out there, we do want to make it a point that we don't want to ruin it too much because we want you to go out and experience these stories. It's, it's not that we're trying to like, yes, we are shilling for these products because we like them. And that's mm. why our whole point of our show is to, is to show stuff we like and, and give commentary on it we hope you like it too i don't think we're showing i think we're the entirely most it's just a basic form of advertising we are word of mouth this is our mouth if you are here to listen yeah. to us this is what we like and if you yeah. like what we, we like think that, you're gonna that... have a great time <laughs> Right. And if we find something like, you know, the Star Wars Star Cruiser, which would be a big waste of money, we're going to tell you straight up, this will be a stupid waste of money. And we don't want to waste anyone's time or anyone's money. And so that's why we're not giving away too much with this show and why we're not going super in depth with the with the comparison, at least uh, not not because we're just trying to get views, but also because we believe that this is worth enjoying every second. Whether yeah. you listen to the audiobook, whether you watch the show, whether you do both, or you even go and buy the actual hard copy, you're going to have the best 10 to 16 hours of your entertainment time. You're not going to regret a single second of it. Not one second of your time reading or watching this show is wasted. And that's really what we're trying to yeah. offer to the audience. And there's even... There's even other shows here in this Amazon preview too that are that are popping up. That honestly, I mean, between the boys and the Expanse is another good example of a book to TV production that stays true to the story. That uh, that all the book fans have have raved on. They've actually said it's very I tame by comparison. Which okay, no problem with that. I don't have a problem. See, and that's the other thing is I still think it's a respectful retelling. If you take a story and you decide, well, maybe let's not be that. Let's maybe not have that ridiculous scene play out. Let's maybe have it implied. And that's fine, too, because it's not its not taking away... Like I said, my only complaint so far is the fact that they cut out the scene with the janitor. I felt the suspense, the slow-burning suspense of that scene was better. But I understand the why. I meant to rebut you on that one. Um, and it goes, back to, it goes back to the, uh, the TSA 
comment, but it's also the... In this story, you're watching it from Jack Reacher's perspective. So you're... In the book, you're watching it from Jack Reacher's perspective, I should say. So you... you he tells you that he's going to maximum security prison and he knew he was going to maximum security prison and he knew that was wrong before the janitor said anything but in the show all you see is him going from jail to maximum security prison so they thought that i i would assume that the director and the the writers assumed that that was enough to tell you there's a big big problem with that and if you don't know that, then you're not Jack Reacher. And that well, makes you want to watch more because Jack Reacher knew that. And if you read the book, you know that Jack Reacher know, knew that. And if you love Jack Reacher as Jack Reacher, you're like, oh, well, I knew that. The moment I saw him going to maximum security prison, I was like, that's not what you do if you're staying in a holding cell. Because I've read the Jack Reacher novels and I know what Jack Reacher's told me about what is right and wrong with the system. And well, that I... I, I that's the only rebuttal I really have and like explanation is like maybe they just thought the showing of him going to where he didn't belong for those that know how prison works for those that know how jail works they would get it and everybody else wouldn't and that would help you not know that there's a grand conspiracy I, I feel like the scene you describe is too much of a giveaway similar to the fact that he doesn't get exact he doesn't get his change in quarters, which in the book is something that is continuously talked about throughout the entire story. And that, like, that's 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 my only justification. Well, in the in the book, they specifically go in because they're only being held; they're not formally arrested. They're they're left in their civilian clothes. And they're not True. forced to change. They don't get processed because they're not supposed to be. And that's where the suspense comes because they're in their cell and the janitor's like, no, you're on the you're on the lifer floor. You're not on the holding floor. And he realizes, oh, okay. What so that it? was my main issue was I felt the suspense was better in the book in that. But that's not that is not a disparage against the show. The show's version no. is fine. It's not bad. Well, it's and just, I like the book better in that instance. To me, in that instance, like, especially with that instance, and in where I don't remember if it's alluded to later episodes or in the episode or after or two, the episodes you've seen, but later on it explains more about that prison scene from Reacher's perspective. He does a little expose on what happened there and why it was such a obscure event, and he tells all of the details of like yeah i wasn't supposed to be there i also wasn't supposed to be the one getting hit i was never supposed to be there but i was there because of extenuating circumstances which in real life would appear as coincidence but in this show or in the story of jack reacher there are no coincidences and and that's what jack reacher is like it's like what he does is he explains the lack of coincidence he know he knows how to tie those really really thin threads together and so that's why I say, like, I'm really doing my best not to spoil anything. I know there is a scene where he discusses what happened in the jail in the show. And in that scene, it takes care of a lot of the things that were removed from his experience in the jail. But also, I wonder, just as like a thought in terms of like, like I said, with bridging the gap between the 90s and the 20s, the 20s, what if the writers actually went to a prison and just double checked hey 
would you ever accept and then put civilian clothes on the gen pop line and the guards right. just definitely told them no and they were like look we can't do this again like we can't do this like it used like what if the guards literally said in the 90s oh yeah that's totally a potential reality woulda coulda should have but in modern times there's just too many cameras too many rules too many things that would have gotten us in trouble it would have been better to just put them in the prison uniforms so protocol changes from from back then to right today, so that's played the, into that yeah no that's a I'm very valid assuming. point and i, I should I, say I i'm assuming that like i said it's just it's if my my disappointment is not like oh this show's literally unwatchable don't watch it nothing to that extreme it's literally just it really just boils down to a nitpick i felt the suspense was better generated from the books version but you make a valid point this show does not take place in the 90s it takes place in the modern day and so of course policies change and they have to you know and that's the other thing they did kind of gloss over the oops put you in the wrong cell part and it's like okay but then you bring up the point of cameras and logs and everything and it's like yeah you know what maybe this was this was probably one of those sequences that there was no right way to do it because mm -hmm. there's so much that's changed between the early 90s and today and to today yeah. that it would have just been almost impossible to really execute that scene properly but what they did execute i think was good so maybe the glossing over was necessary to to keep you distracted from asking too many questions about the implications of that sequence so yeah i can buy that i Any, also, uh, i do want to throw one more thing out there that you just made me think of it and that's the writer of reservoir dogs when he was approached by the fbi because he had literally written a movie that was the most unthought of bank heist in history according to the fbi so i I don't want to say that Lee Child has done similar writing, but I do believe that he has gotten close. And so theoretically, some of his writing could have influenced some of the prison system, some of the TSA, some of any variation of the things that Reacher interacts with. And that, that his interaction, his writing and infection of those systems then came back to plague the show just another part to add to like yeah it, it it's an adaptation of the 90s to the 2020s and the adaptation like you said i feel like we're being nitpicky in terms of one teacher thinks that the student should have been more explicit and the other teacher sees why they weren't explicit but it's both because of differing understanding like mostly i think it's just due to the fact that i've read more of reacher and so right. i do i've seen lee child overcome the change in government i've seen like i know for a fact that he is actively researching everything he's pretending reacher is doing and not not like lightly he goes into the point about explaining the difference between a 38 special and a 38 acp and a nine millimeter nine millimeter acp and a 38 snub nose and he explains how that if you get shot by a snub nose you actually have a relatively high chance of completely not being bothered by it 
depending on your body mass index. And right. that is something that only a super nerd slash quality writer would do. And that's, that's, that's what my hopes is, is that these writers, every person that worked on this, just in the first episode, I noticed that one of the, the two writers were uh, Nick Santora and Kate Duffy. To both of them, I think you wrote the first episode exactly how me, a Lee Child diehard, wanted to see that episode. So do well, not take I, anything I say as negative, just constructive. And I'm not a diehard, and yeah, and I'm just pointing out the differences because I mean that's that's the point of that's doing a do. show comparison is to point out the deviations, and I mean. A lot of the smaller deviations do not impact the overall story. And that's that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the broadcast. Is That's what I find is really important with these types of shows is that we have to recognize that these are all a retelling of an already established story. This is yeah. why the Marvel Cinematic Universe didn't follow the original comic books because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is its own version of those stories. And so that's what we have to recognize here, especially with a show that was written in the 90s, took place in the 90s, excuse me, a book that took place in the 90s. They decided to make it in the modern era. Okay, so that does change a lot of the implications of today's, because you're right, there's been a lot of significant events that have happened in human history since this book was written that need to be acknowledged and i think this overall i give absolute praise to this my personal nitpick on this show is not a reflection of the writer's ability to transcribe this into a screen production i i they did an excellent job and i would be grateful if somebody did the same for my works and did my book like this i would absolutely i'd be like yeah that's i mean i'd have to read it first before i approve it but if this is the level of respect that someone wants to give to me and my work, yeah, it'll happen. You'll see Galaxia on screen, absolutely. Um, so I think with that, I'll go ahead and just kind of wrap this segment up with uh, with absolutely worth the time to watch if you've got it. And uh, if you've got Prime and you've read the book, definitely read the book first. Um or you can do it after, honestly, because that might even give you a different perspective. And that's mm. ultimately what our show is about, is sharing those perspectives, where John has a perspective of having read more Reacher than I have, and I've only just recently gotten into this. That's part of what makes our discussion special, is we're able to swap those ideas and those insights. And so, if you want to watch the show first, and then read the book, hey, just make sure you do both, because You're they're both great versions complain. of the same story, and they're both yeah. worth your time all around. So. I, I, I want to add one quick note to this. Nick Santora, I think you, no matter what any marketing exec tells you, just do what you just did. I don't know how Absolutely. you got to where you got, but do not fucking listen to the advertisers. Hey, that's I, two. I, I know that's two. Yeah, I no, need you to know that Nick, I need you to know that, Nick Santora. Do not listen to the advertisers. Do not listen to the marketing teams. Do not listen to the people that assume they know your target market as a diehard Lee Child fan you made a movie version of Lee Child of his vision of his character you nailed the casting you nailed all of the directors you picked for each episode you perfected this you are now the standard for book to TV adaptation 
anything less than you starting now is lower than you because i've yeah parker mentioned it lord of the rings and uh jackson like you blew jackson out of the water because you took one of a series of novels and turned it into 10 hour length segments of pure enjoyment i watched every episode as fast as i could and i mean that because i did have to take an eight hour sleep period but the moment i woke up the next morning the first show i turned on was the next episode that i was supposed to be on for this show because this was 100 percent binge worthy this show is one of the number one reasons why I was so willing to start this podcast because it was the first time in a long time that any modern retelling has been so respectful of the source material. All right. Well, with that, we're going to conclude our Reacher segment. And we're going to transition into our surprise segment. And that is, of course, the Kenobi trailer has officially dropped. Coming May 25th, we will be graced with a limited series about Obi-Wan Kenobi's escapades on Tatooine or possibly off Tatooine that takes place in between Star Wars Episode 3 and Star Wars Episode 4. A lot of fans are excited for this. I myself am going into this the way I went into it with Solo. My expectations are set to zero, and I'm just going to try and enjoy the ride and hope they don't uh, they don't mess it up. But I gotta say, um, this is the first time where a Star Wars trailer in a while has actually given me legit chills, and that is because they executed this thing perfectly. As far as trailer hype goes, this definitely brings it. And it does a good job of showing us a little bit of what to expect while also not giving everything away. So I'm cautiously optimistic about this one, John. What about you? I'm going to give this one the same amount of uh, hope that Star Wars and the Jedi are all about. I truly hope that they learn from their mistakes in Boba Fett where they just made a boring story that went nowhere about nothing but I also acknowledge that this was written right at the same time as Boba Fett so well they did a lot of last minute reshoots with Boba Fett as well and I hope that doesn't need to be the case with this show because it's not like Okay, they're doing a limited series for a reason because there's only we so already much. Know what happened? <laughs> there's only so much you can do watching a man sit in a desert. Well, <laughs> you know. I wonder I if mean, it's, it's a limited series because it's is, is is. Does that mean that this is the one season? Yeah. Or does one that, and done. Oh, one and done. Okay, so in that case, if it's one and done, now I, yeah, I'm gonna have to set my expectation to zero because if you're gonna do one and done with something like Kenobi, that means you have to get him from. Luke as a literal baby to Luke as whatever age he was supposed to be when he left Tatooine with Obi-Wan. If that's the goal of the show, yeah. Right, right. 
Well, you kind of have to, because then we're going to all expect season two, because we want to know all the way until the day Ben said, Obi-Wan, of course I know him. He's me. Right? Like, you can't, you can't tell me you're doing a limited series, and then you leave out the week before those events. I why want to did know. They, why did they call this show Obi-Wan? They shouldn't have, they should have called it Ben Kenobi, or just Kenobi. Yeah, right? Because... He's in disguise. He's right. not he's not meant to be the Jedi Master of the Jedi Council of Coruscant. He is meant to be Desert Old Man of scene one of episode one of the Star Wars trilogy. Right? Yeah, I think that was a huge ball drop now that I'm thinking about it. They should have just called it either just Kenobi or called I it Ben they Kenobi. Did just, they I did. They, I remember when they released the like teaser teaser and it just said Kenobi. And that was like part of the selling points to Disney Plus as it was originally like releasing and then they changed it. And I think they not only did the fans dirty, they did themselves dirty because like this goes back to the point about Star Cruiser you aren't telling your own story i don't care who wrote this this isn't your story this is george lucas's story this is the story that george lucas was intending to allude to right he when he said ben because he wrote he worked i don't know if he wrote every single scene of every single part of the trilogies each trilogy but he wrote he the, the difference he wrote the difference between revenge of the sith equal to star wars which later renamed a new hope right he wrote both of those according to the kenobi he always wanted to have so if you're if you are not working with george lucas a you've already failed because you should have at least talked to him for 280 hours minimum just to know who he thought Kenobi was in his quiet time, the time we don't know about, the in-between. And B, like, you're, again, you're, this isn't your character. This isn't your chance to show your writing ability about the emotional conundrums of anybody. We know Obi-Wan's conundrums based off of all the approved canon and non-approved canon that has existed for the last 40 years now. Since the original film was produced, since episode one was dropped, we know for a fact that Obi-Wan has a story. And it's funny, it goes back to books. One of the first Star Wars books I read that really to this day makes me in love with Star Wars forever is the story of Obi-Wan right before the Phantom Menace and his whole he has a whole story about him going through what Anakin went through right he has the moment of finally like testing whether or not it's his job to stay with his love or be a Jedi tough it out you don't get to have love because your job is to bring peace to a chaotic world well and and obi-wan chose peace to a chaotic world so if you try to tell me that you're going to show me obi-wan's character growth 
in this season or this series, you 100% are writing a pile of trash. Well, there is no character growth for Obi-Wan. And that's really, that's really, Clone Wars kind of goes into that more with, with Obi-Wan's character development. So I think this show is, is really going to show, you know, we see him in episode three, he drops off Luke, the end, you come back in episode four, and there he is, you know, scaring off Tusken Raiders. And I think what we're going to finally see, and I, I think this is a really important, important piece for this show, is that it's going to show a very broken side of Obi-Wan that we've never seen before because what a lot of people don't understand is Obi-Wan comes off as a very strong character, right? Especially in episode 3 and episode 4 we have, a, mm. and even episode 5 and 6. I wouldn't say that he came off as strong in episode 4, 5, and 6. I think he would, uh, just at that point, I would just say he came way more off like a sad uncle. I didn't feel that way. I felt that he came off as the guiding light in in through the darkness, and, and but he, he, guiding light doesn't mean he didn't show his sorrow. He kind of did, but we didn't see it as prevalent as we probably will in this show. Because what I think this show is really the story this show is hopefully going to tell is it's going to basically give you an insight to those family members that you have who come off as strong and the ones that you look to for guidance and hard times because that's kind of what obi-wan was is is he he was just that kind of that that stable rock right he's the he's the family member that doesn't cry when sad stuff goes on he's a family member that just bears all the all the guilt but he doesn't show it and this show is going to show us what that family member looks like really because the reality is strong people aren't just naturally strong and they just have everything figured out strong people are just strong because they feel it's their duty to be strong for the sake of everyone else and they feel they they know that that some of us do need a little extra emotional support than others at times and so they take it upon themselves to be that rock for other people and that's kind of what what obi-wan has to be for himself because he has nobody. He has a duty to protect Luke Skywalker. That's but but he also has to maintain his values to get through the dark period. And that is what we're gonna we're gonna see him. We're probably gonna see him in some instances where he's like where he is that rock, and then we're probably gonna see him in a cantina getting drunk off his ass. I hope we never see him as that rock, to be honest. Based off what you just said, that's the most beautiful way of telling his story because like the reason we can't see him as a rock is because luke only remembered him as that hermit living on the hill oh you mean old ben kenobi i i have met a kenobi once or twice but it doesn't mean it, ben kenobi meant nothing to him except that his name was kenobi and there was a woman calling for obi-wan kenobi and luke, like luke did Luke didn't see Obi-Wan as a father figure. Not right he, away. Even at no point did he truly see him as a father figure. I think something that we've lost in modern times is that like we have fathers and we have mentors. And our fathers are the ones that 
you know, constantly ask us to drive the machines. They constantly ask us to do the labor. But our mentors tell us why we do that, why we suffer, why we. You know, I I got a hard disagree with you on that because not entirely, I guess, but but for the most part, I I disagree because episode four shows us that's not the case. Um, if that was the case. Then when Obi-Wan got struck down by Vader, he would have been like, oh, well, that sucks. And then get on the Falcon and leave. No, he's like, whoa, he's in trouble. What's going on here? And he stops and he watches while they're like, okay, we can sneak on the ship and get underway and get going. And he stops and he's watching with the rest of the troopers. And then he gets struck down and he starts pointlessly shooting at Vader. (laughs) Like there's there's no coming away from that alive. And yet he starts doing it anyway. My rebuttal and then, and to then that. you know, we see him mourning his loss. He's like, I can't believe he's gone. Right. This and that's, is not. That's why I bring I think up. You this. touch on a good point because we do need to see that interaction between Luke and Obi Wan, and I hope in the last couple episodes we get that mentor father figure moment where you he's know, like, yes, he sees his uncle as a sort of pseudo dad, but his uncle sees him as a work commodity and nothing more. And there's, there's two things to this now that I'm realizing yeah number one episode four shows tatooine in a very very different light right because luke doesn't come from the tatooine of moss eisley he comes from more of that tatooine that uh nathan fillion not nathan the countryside um, the the real philion protects in uh boba fett um where he the Timothy O'Fillion was the one that had uh, Boba Fett's armor before Mando right. grabbed it from him. So that town is a lot closer to the town that Luke grew up in. And that was like Luke's relationship to the universe at large because obviously he hadn't gone outside of space yet. He's a country and, farm boy. And so in that instance, Obi-Wan is a lot closer to the wizard. He's a lot closer to Gandalf and Frodo. And that would explain why Luke would have such strong feelings for him. Because A, the only people he lost before losing Obi-Wan was his father he never met. And then his family that were burned to death by stormtroopers, according to Obi-Wan, who was willing to tell him who also inadvertently protected him from the same fate. And, but one thing I would say to the Luke shooting aimlessly and feeling bad for losing Obi-Wan is he did the same thing with Chew, like when he was calling for C-3PO and R2-D2 to save them in the trash compactor, he wasn't saying, I'm going to die. I'm dying. He was saying, we're dying. Save my team. Get us out of here. Get them out of here. So Luke always had this sense of self-sacrifice for others and he had an appreciation for life but most innate sense but you bring up a good point in that where did that inspiration come from because we sure as shit know it didn't come from uncle ben no uncle ben's not the one giving that inspiration we know it's not him we know that that inspiration likely is kenobi from kenobi and i think that's what we're gonna see so now man but but this, you know, this is what pisses me off is after watching it, Boba Fett. I don't know if they're gonna hit that. 
I don't care. I don't care about Booger. We've already talked about Booger. No, Boba no, no, no. I mean, in terms of we're moving the, on. And the thing is, the we writing. just hit some interesting points in our discussion just now that I'm actually now looking forward to seeing how this show comes out. I'm not trying to set my own expectations, but I do hope we get to see that relationship between Luke and Obi-Wan actually take place and that it, that it, you know, maybe turns out that Kenobi's like, hey, your uncle doesn't want you to see me, but if you do, it's okay. It's not going to be the end of the, you know, it's, it's like, we just, you know, we need to kind of just keep it on the down low. And then in that time, we'll see, so we'll see like young Luke as we see here in the trailer, but I think we're going to also see like teenage Luke. And that's where Obi-Wan's going to start kind of teaching him not really the ways of the Jedi, but just being a good person because he doesn't talk about the ways of the Jedi. And then in episode four, it's going to change that dynamic because mm. when he gives him the lightsaber and says, here's the ways of the Jedi, then all of a sudden it's going to click. It just clicks in Luke's brain like, oh, that's what you've been teaching me. These are all the good virtues that you believe in. And I, um, oh, man, I don't know. This dude, could that's go either interesting. way. That's a really interesting. Tell me. Tell me oh. if you know this or not. Do you know what this Luke's could... age was supposed to be before they left Mount Sisley? I think it was like 17 or 18. That's what I thought. I, I really thought Mark Hamill was like a 24-year-old cast to play a 17-year-old, like, modern days. Which is <laughs> important, though, because thinks. that changes the amount of time that this series has to cover. Because, like you said, like, nobody's going to care about young baby Luke. Like, me as a dad, I love watching my child grow day to day but if i was anybody else watching my child it would be like okay i liked the fact that i learned that he walked and then learned his first words but i don't care about the time in between that it took him to learn those two things so i think that you can skip ahead pretty generously in this yeah. series without doing too much narrative damage yeah so according to imdb there's six episodes and so that is definitely, I think, enough time to have young Luke here in one scene. And probably what we're watching is probably just from the first small handful. I don't think they're giving us everything, and I think that's intentional. I think they really want to want to draw this one out. I hope there isn't. I honestly, I hope this is the only trailer they do because it's March. The show's out in May. If you really How need another trailer feel to get about excited doing for, a full breakdown of this trailer as we watch it, I don't. I don't. I don't know about a full breakdown, but well, we got I mean, 15 a couple minutes. Of, was there anything in particular that sticks out? I think we yeah, there's a lot. I've watched soon. this several times now on this loop, and there's quite a few things that stick out to me. Number yeah. one is Uncle Owen uh, watching somebody be hanged for what appears to be a an accusation and i actually haven't watched this trailer with the sound on and i'm doing my best not to because i hate watching trailers um oh so I, I watched this no 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 you're fine like this is our show we're, we're doing this for it, it everybody. doesn't give anything away exactly it's pretty, it's the pretty reason, much a teaser the reason why i don't like watching trailers especially when it comes to tv shows is because like if it's not in the first episode i'm gonna start trying to figure out which episode it is according to the first episode and then if it's not all in by episode two basically i'm going to start to answer questions i didn't want to answer until later episodes in the series so that's why i don't watch trailers but in this instance i watched it only with subtitles on so i know for sure that there is inquisitioners i know inquisitors. for inquisitors 
and I know for sure they are hunting down the remnants of the Jedi, which is actually a weird story that I've always wanted to witness. And I think that's where this series could really explode the Star Wars universe off of the Skywalker saga. Because this series gives the chance to actually include the Force Unleashed. Right? (laughs) Because we are starting exactly after Darth Vader becomes Darth Vader. Exactly after Luke was passed on to his other family his extended family and in that moment we know tons of what's declared non-canon fanfic that is just fun it's well adventurous. there's anything i learned watching rogue one is don't don't set any expectations because i went into that movie with a bunch of stupid fan theories and i was you know after i watched it i was like well that was a stupid waste of time what a pile of crap and as I talk to people who are like, oh my gosh, Rogue One's the best movie ever, which if you feel that way, cool. I don't entirely agree, but I watched it a second time through somebody's eyes that had never seen it and they loved it, thought it was the greatest Star Wars movie ever. And that's when I realized, oh, I hated this movie because I set my own expectations for it. And that's, and now in retrospect, Rogue One's okay. I would definitely watch it over the uh, Disney sequel trilogy, hands down, that's a no-brainer. But I still feel it was not necessary as a Star Wars film, but I'm glad it's there. I would much rather have more Star Wars content that is is diverse in the sense of there's just more stories out there. There's yeah. stuff that every single fan can enjoy. It's the reason why I, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel Comics in general, and just comic books in general, is because... There's always a bit of a mutual respect in the community for everyone else. And that's what I want to try and set the example of is just because I don't like Rogue One that much and Solo is my favorite. I still respect the fact that everybody else has their favorite Star Wars series, shows and games. And I love talking about that. And that's why I'm really excited about our May 4th stream when we go over the movies and we get into the shows and we get into the games. And it's going to be a long, long thing, but it's going to be great because we're going to get a all kinds of Star Wars perspective that we wouldn't otherwise because we I, I try to come from a place of respect of other people's opinions and that's hard but I'm trying so <laughs> well I, I I don't say that you don't come from a, a place of respect I think you oh. of how much you sorry wrong start over <laughs> sorry I I don't think that you're disrespecting anybody's work or anybody's opinion by saying whether or not you have an opinion on a subject and I think something that you take the time to do, Parker, more than anybody I've ever listened to, is that you take the time to legitimately define your discrepancies and your deficiencies with something. And I think that's something that every writer, me personally, I enjoy, I need it. To me, that's how I learn how to be better. I don't learn how to be better by everybody telling me what they like about what I do. I learn how to be better by actively doing better in what I do. And hearing where I'm doing it wrong. And I think in this instance, especially when it comes to Star Wars, Star Wars is the reason we are fantasy nerds. It's the reason why we can bridge the gap between fiction and reality. And I know for sure it's an odd generational thing because my wife, who's slightly, just barely on the cusp of a different generation than me, she has no reverence for Star Wars. 
and not in terms of like denigration. She doesn't denigrate Star Wars. She just doesn't care. It didn't. It wasn't new to her. Even the new trilogy wasn't new to her because when you compare it to Transformers, all of the old movies have nowhere near the same CGI as Transformers, and that's what makes it so hard for new people to get into it. And so I think Rogue One was a marketing ploy. Did it hurt the diehards a little bit? For sure. But did no, it get actually, new fans? For sure. <laughs> well, for me as a diehard, what it hurt me is it's like, if you're going to tell the Rogue One story, you are literally turning a TV, NBC, yeah, Channel yeah. 7 TV show that can run That's... for 80 seasons in a row about how the Rebels are forming and trying to get one over on the Empire and never do. And maybe at the very end of yeah. the series, as you're about to release episode four, all right, you all see right, them we are up against off. the clock, but let's let's go ahead and save it for the for May fourth. May um, the fourth be with let's us. Let's go ahead and talk about our final segment, the games we currently enjoy. This is not a not going to be a huge segment because we're not talking about all the games we played and enjoyed, but just a just a couple of them. Right now, I've got. I'll just go first real quick. Um, I'm kind of getting into after over 150 hours of Lost Ark and uh, kind of being disappointed with where the roadmap's going and the lack of character customization. I've decided I'm going to put that on the shelf for a few months, and I myself am diving into Final Fantasy XIV. I know, weave anime bullshit, but hey, you know what? I play what I want to play. So, uh, so far, I will say that it's definitely worth checking out. It's, there's a free trial that you can try, and it's got a lot of i'd say the character customization definitely gives sto or excuse me star trek online a run for its money but it's definitely not quite to that caliber of customization which uh i am planning on doing a, a segment on sto in the future uh, when we get to that but definitely I, I like it so far the play is not too uh too complicated and it's 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 different it plays very similarly to star wars the old republic and so that's definitely helping me get into it. Um, the stream that we're featuring, by the way, is our friends from Super Gamecraft. You can check them out on twitch.com slash supergamecraft. They do have a variety of shows going right now. A couple of duo streams, and they also do a podcast every Sunday. I can't remember exactly what time because it's too early for me to care. But they are uh, some of our good friends that are, uh, that are also, they mostly, so if you're really into gaming, definitely recommend that you check them out because they are mostly primarily a gaming service so uh john why don't you talk about what shows you're what games you're into right now the games i am into right now i had to take a break from elden ring the anxiety the intenseness of the game the fact that it is a souls game stresses me out a little bit so i, I i've taken a quick break and i've been playing no man's sky it is by far one of the most relaxing games I've ever played. It's uh, it's a cross between Star Wars and Ark in terms of you are an Ark character in the universe, just out in the universe doing your your own thing. You don't like, you technically have missions, as you can see. This player in the video is choosing a mission to focus on, but I don't. I, I max cap my character by exploring all of the worlds and constantly just returning the data that I had collected. And it wasn't until maybe 
75 hours into the game that I finally decided to go and chase down the Atlas stones, which turns out were the original storyline to the original game that dropped and everybody was disappointed in because it wasn't performing to the standards they had anticipated. Um, and now I'm just now starting to move into more of the like DLC updates that have come out over the years this game's been out for years now and it's still just this experience of space and exploration but it's not an explore a guided exploration it's not like you're not christopher columbus you are jack sparrow you got your boat in spain good luck (laughs) and i love that because like when I play Elden Ring, I know that there are missions. I know that there are just constant threats that I need to be aware of and observing and tracing and tracking. But when I play No Man's Sky, there's stars to look at, planets to observe, and anything and everything I want to ignore. I don't, I've gotten into space pirate battles where I just literally hold down the B button and pulse drive my way as far away as I can until I can escape. Then I escape, and I don't care. I don't have to care. I don't even feel bad about ignoring it, because if I want to mine for money, all I have to do is lose some reputation points in factions I still have yet to figure out if I care about. Because, I, like I said, 70 hours of pure adventure according to me. The game guided none of it, and then it hour 70 i finally was like oh i think i should go check out all the stones so i can just check that box off and i realized that i had max capped my level i didn't even know there were levels and i like it kept saying make sure you're at least this level and then i checked and my level said you've reached the top (laughs) i was like oh i can do every single one of these missions in a row without any kind of exploration attached to them and that to me was amazing so yeah so yeah. I'm, I'm playing no man's sky but I, I i'm also playing to, elden ring i'm gonna have to give this one another try in the future um my first experience wasn't super great but i you know games change and improve with time especially mmos these days and so i'm, I'm probably going to give this one another another try in the future but i've got my stuff set up but with that we're uh, one, one down to the last to few minutes quick. of our show uh, closing thoughts and weekend plans. Anything you want to share on that? Yeah, I, I'm just going to add to that uh, comment that you just stated about this being an updated MMO. I didn't even realize it, but yeah, this game has gone cross-plat MMO. It is on every platform. You can play with any and every console that you want to. And it is an MMORPG. Not an RPG, it's just a straight MMO. It's a multiplayer universe. And in the most general sense so if you do decide to join feel free to send me an invite and i will uh help you build whatever you want because i've been collecting currency in the world and i'm and i intend on continuing to do that this weekend yeah i appreciate that and i'm probably uh yeah i'll be uh be working this weekend my my part-time job delivering pizza to all the wonderful people of my local area um which isn't that bad, making a few extra bucks on the side. But otherwise, when I'm not delivering pizza, I'll definitely be doing some Final Fantasy myself. And uh, that's pretty much all. So, unfortunately, folks, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for watching. Uh, my name is PD York, reminding you, as always, don't be a penis. 
obligatory like and subscribe remark. That too. Obligatory like and subscribe and don't be a penis.